Well, please open with me in God's Word to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, this morning we'll be looking at verses 3 to 7. And as you turn there, I wonder when it comes to your celebration of Christmas, what do you look forward to each year? You know, we've gone through a very difficult year, many challenges. And so I know that for many, it's the return of Christmas carols that so many have enjoyed and appreciated in listening to Christmas music and singing the carols with family and friends. And for others, it's simply spending time with their family and friends this time of year, of, of coming together for a special meal on Christmas Day. And of course, for the children here, I think many of you are looking forward to waking up Christmas morning to see the presents under the tree. But whatever traditions you may have during this Christmas season, we repeat the same things year after year after year after year, don't we? And it's through this repetition that we look forward to celebrating Christmas each year. You know, the truth is that in the midst of so much change and uncertainty in this world, it's by returning to our familiar and favorite Christian traditions that we enter into a refreshing and reassuring time that we treasure celebrating. And the truth is we all need this repetition in our lives because of how easily we get caught up in the busyness of this world so that we need to take time to remember what's important to us, to reorient ourselves around what matters to us. It's God Himself who has created us to value this repetition, which is then healthy and helpful to our souls. And so this morning, we will be returning to a message that many of us have turned to and heard many, many times before. And that we've heard in various ways through the years. But God has designed the repetition of this Christmas message so that our devotion to Christ will deepen as we hear once more why our Savior appeared that first Christmas day. So brothers and sisters, with this in mind then, let us read together Titus chapter 3. Verses 3 to 7. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, let us once again come to God in prayer. Oh, Father, what precious words are recorded for us here in these verses. May you then speak to us through them as your Spirit works in our minds, in our hearts, in our very souls. So that in our celebration of Christmas and the coming of Christ, we will have renewed hearts, revived, because of Christ, who is born to become our Savior. And so, Father, we pray you will be with us and guide us this morning and ask all these things in our Savior, Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we celebrate Christmas because Jesus Christ appeared to save us. Jesus Christ appeared in this world so that we would be saved. And this is revealed to us here in these five verses through five truths that will deepen our appreciation for and our adoration of Christ and His appearing. So the the five truths here through these five verses are the need of Christ's appearing, then the time of Christ's appearing, then the purpose of Christ's appearing, then the benefit of Christ's appearing, and then finally the hope of Christ's appearing. So, Again, if you're taking notes or want to write those down, we have the need of Christ's appearing, then the time of Christ's appearing, then the purpose of Christ's appearing, then the benefit of Christ's appearing, and then finally the hope of Christ's appearing. So let's begin by looking at the need of Christ's appearing. Because, of course, here in this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus, what a well-ordered and healthy church looks like so that Titus can then help the churches here on this island in Crete to remain faithful to Christ as they grow in godliness. But it's in the midst of these instructions to Titus and through Titus to these churches that these verses record how Christians will live differently from the world in its selfishness and sinfulness. Because, of course, this world has come under the curse of humanity's rebellion against God and sin. Which is why there is so much corruption and wickedness and evil in this world. And so each year we then sing in the Christmas carol, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, these words, and in despair... I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth 
goodwill to men. But what we find in this verse is that this hatred and mocking of God and His will included us. I mean, in verse 3, there are several ways listed that we have lived as sinners in this world that can be brought together here into four pairs. So first, we read that we were both foolish and disobedient, which includes both then our thoughts and our actions. That's why Psalm 14, verse 1 begins, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. So in our sin, we foolishly pretend as if God doesn't exist with our minds, and then we disobey Him by living for ourselves in sin. And if we're honest with ourselves, this is true for every single one of us. But not only are we foolish and disobedient, we also read that we were deceived and serving various lusts and pleasures. While we are responsible for our sinfulness, we're also enslaved by Satan and by his spiritual powers of wickedness. Which is why Paul writes elsewhere that Satan is the god of this age who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And why we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the power of the prince of the air. But not only have we been deceived by Satan's lies and calling evil good and good evil, but we are also serving various lusts and pleasures. Do you hear then of our passivity in these words? Because we are not in control. We cannot help but carry out our sinful desires. Those sinful desires in our hearts as we chase after these worldly pleasures for their brief and fleeting gratification and enjoyment. So we're once foolish and disobedient. We're once deceived and serving various lesson pleasures. But then third... We are both living in malice and envy. Because in our selfishness, we desire others' harm. And we want what others have. So the focus here is on our sinful hearts, which may or may not result in sinful actions. But it is through our sinful hearts then We engage sin in our lives. And so we see here how deeply sin has reached down into the very souls as our attitudes and behavior towards others are accounted for here. Then we come to the last pair of words that describe us in our sin, that we were hateful and hating one another which both describes the hatred that exists in our relationships 
in being hated and hating others ourselves. Now, of course, we all know this hatred is not always intense. Because it doesn't deny that we do have a love and compassion towards others. But our feelings and our emotions are mixed and tainted by the selfishness of our sin, which will then show itself through hatred, whether subtle or direct. But through all of these words, we find this description is not an exaggeration of our sinfulness, but it's a picture reminding us of what we once looked like. So don't read this verse as if it's like a, a, a funhouse mirror that distorts our sinfulness. But this verse is a true mirror that accurately shows your sinfulness and my sinfulness in all of its ugliness. And don't miss that the Apostle Paul includes himself in this summary of mankind's sin. Did you hear when we read what he said to Titus? He didn't say, for they were also these things. But he said, for we ourselves were also these things. An apostle of Jesus Christ, humbly recognizing his own sinfulness, together with the sinfulness which is true of all of us. What then is the consequence of our living this way? that God's righteousness demands punishment for such rebellion against Him. Because His holiness cannot tolerate such hatred of Him and His will in our selfishness and sinfulness. So God is angry with us in our sin, which is why we deserve to come under His condemnation and judgment. Yet the good news the good news for us this Christmas time is that Christ has appeared. You see then that the light of Christmas begins to shine brightly when we recognize the need for Christ's appearing. Because this world is an ugly and a dark place. So may we all humble ourselves by recognizing the darkness of our souls without Christ. We need Christ's appearing in this world. This then brings us to the next verse, from the need of Christ's appearing to the time of Christ's appearing, because something has changed in this world. That God would not leave His creation alone to suffer under the consequences of our sin. But in His kindness and His love, He was compelled to act as our Savior. So do you see that unlike His image bearers in this world who live in selfishness and sin, there are two of God's attributes 
that are highlighted here. These beautiful descriptions of God, of His kindness and His love. Now, the word kindness here is also translated as goodness in the New Testament. So this is focusing on God's character, who he is. Which is then followed by his love, which emphasizes God's love of compassion for us. So together, these form a word picture that reveal God's heart for us, even as we were rebellious sinners living against him. Oh, what love the Father has for us. So Brian Chappell comments that these words emphasize our salvation is a consequence of what is in God's heart, not what is in our heart. And the time finally came in human history when God's kindness and love towards us appeared. You see then that we don't simply come to know God as kind and loving abstractly by reading about them as they're recorded for us in the pages of a book, but God's kindness and love is shown to us personally through his appearing in the world. So Jesus Christ, then, is the very embodiment of God's kindness and love, and he reveals, then, to us God as our Savior. This is what we celebrate each Christmas, that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. What powerful words are then written for us here, which reveal God's heart for us by sending His Son to us. That's why the Apostle John further builds on God's love when he writes in 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So in Christ, we have God's love through propitiation. That God removed his wrath against us by sending Christ as a gift to, for us to receive by faith. where God offers His own Son to receive His wrath. So that instead of death, we would have life. What profound love which appeared in this world when Christ was born. So listen to the sweet words of the Puritan Thomas Watson as he reflects upon the incarnation of Christ in his body of divinity. Watson writes, See here as in a glass the infinite love of God the Father, that when we had lost ourselves by sin, God in the riches of his grace sent forth his Son made of a woman to redeem us. 
And behold the infinite love of Christ in that he was willing thus to condescend to take our flesh. Surely the angels would have disdained to have taken our flesh. It would have been a disparagement to them. What king would be willing to wear sackcloth over his cloth of gold? But Christ did not disdain to take our flesh. Oh, the love of Christ. Had not Christ been made flesh, we had been made a curse. Had he not been incarnate, we had been incarcerate and had been forever in prison. Well, might an angel be the herald to proclaim this joyful news of Christ's incarnation. Behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So the time of Christ's appearing came when God was incarnate, became a man in the person of Jesus Christ to reveal to us the kindness and love of God, our Savior. So we began with the need of Christ's appearing and then continued the time of Christ's appearing. But then third, verse 5, we come to the purpose of Christ's appearing. Why did Christ appear in this world through the miracle of the incarnation? Here we are reminded that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ to save us. Now, Christians are all familiar with this word salvation since it is the central truth of the gospel and the reason that Christ came into this world. But listen, we are a forgetful people. And we can lose sight of the meaning of the word salvation, which is why it's helpful for us to hear about it over and over again, to be reminded of what our salvation is. Salvation means to be delivered from danger, which is what we are all in because of our sin. And so to be saved by God means to be rescued from his wrath. And it is God himself who determined in eternity past that our sin would not be the final word in our relationship with him. But the final word would be salvation. When Christ appeared in this world. So verse 5, we have then this contrast of how we are not saved with how we are saved. First, showing us that we are incapable of saving ourselves. That our salvation from God's wrath against us is not because of anything we have done. That we have no works of righteousness that can cancel or reverse our sins against God. You know, the truth is that we are far too sinful to achieve our righteousness on our own. So if our salvation in any sense depends on us, then our salvation has been lost. Because our salvation must come from God alone. There are far too many Christians today who try to somehow include works in their salvation. They may say, yes, we need Jesus. 
but we also need to live righteous lives. We also need to live morally, ethically, and good lives so that God will accept us and welcome us into His presence in heaven. But listen, this is not why Christ appeared. He's not a partial Savior. And this compromises and contradicts the purpose of Jesus coming into this world. Do you remember what the angel said when he announced the birth of Jesus to Mary's betrothed husband, Joseph? Again, we read it earlier, Matthew 1, verse 21, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus' very name explains his mission, that he came to save us from our sins, fully, completely, wholly. So we are not saved by works of righteousness, which we have done. But as this contrast reveals to us, we are saved according to God's mercy and his mercy alone. It's God who is merciful to us in not giving us what we deserve, but in doing for us what we cannot do by ourselves or for ourselves as He sends His Son to actually become one of us. The God-man. So that He would take our place. Do you see then that Christ appeared with a purpose our salvation from sin. And His salvation is freely offered to us as a gift, not because of anything we have done. That's why I always enjoy our family celebrating Christmas. Because that Christmas morning, they all come out to find their wrapped presents under the tree. And it's as my children unwrap their presents that I can reflect upon the freeness of God's gift of Christ. You see, while I bear the cost, it brings joy to my soul when my children open their gifts. And in a similar way, then these gifts under our Christmas tree become small and limited examples for us. That while God bear the cost, It brings joy to his soul when we receive this free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. What a gift we're given in Christ of salvation, the very purpose of Christ's appearing. So in these verses, we have seen the need of Christ's appearing and the time of Christ's appearing and the purpose of Christ's appearing. But then fourth, we come to the benefit of Christ's appearing. Because our salvation in Christ comes into our lives through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
This is why Jesus said to those following him in John 14, verses 16 to 18, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then Jesus prepares his disciples for his coming death by saying to them in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if you depart, I will send him to you. So on this side of the cross, after Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead, We find that Christ's salvation is applied to our hearts and our souls through his helper, who is the Holy Spirit. And how is his ministry then described here in this verse? In two ways. First, through the washing of regeneration. Now, to wash something is to take something that's dirty and make it clean. So children, when your parents ask you to wash the dishes, what do you do? Well, if you listen to your parents, you hopefully use soap to remove whatever's left on your plate so that it will be clean and can be used again. Or if your parents ask you to wash the clothes and you listen, You add soap to the machine so it will remove any dirt from your shirts so that they will be clean and you can wear them again. Well, Christ sends His Holy Spirit to wash our hearts, which are dirty with our sin. And this is because our hearts are actually dead in sin, even though they may be beating in our chests and pumping blood into our bodies. Because there is no spiritual life in us as we live in rebellion against God. But when the Holy Spirit comes into us, He gives us life again, true spiritual life, a life of believing in God and following Him, which is what regeneration means, to bring back to life. That's why then it is often said that we are born again. And so it's with this new life through the Holy Spirit that all of the sinful dirt that is found in our hearts has been washed away. And this is then what is pictured in our own baptisms, isn't it? That when we go under the water, our sinful self has died together with Christ as it is buried. And then we rise up from the water We're cleansed through the blood of Christ so that we will then walk in newness of life. This then is the washing of regeneration that is pictured through baptism. But then the ministry of the Holy Spirit is also described as renewing or this renewal, this change that takes place in our lives by the death of Christ where we are actually made new. So the old John DeVito has been buried with Christ and the new John DeVito has been raised through the Holy Spirit as a new creation in Christ. 
That's why Paul encourages us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Oh, why do we not lose heart in this world? Because even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And as Jesus told us, so we read in Titus, Christ is the one who pours out on us the Holy Spirit. Now, when I think of pouring, a pitcher immediately comes to my mind where water is then poured to fill a cup so that I can drink and be refreshed. So here I see Christ pouring out the Holy Spirit on us so that we'll receive the benefits of His appearing to save us. But He wasn't stingy or cautious in pouring out His Holy Spirit, was He? As if Jesus reluctantly pours out just enough for us to be able to drink and find some satisfaction for our soul's thirst. You know, the same word that is used here to pour out is the same verb used in Acts on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out in fulfillment of the prophet Joel and his prophecy in the Old Testament. And while we can get caught up today in debates about Pentecostalism and the continuation of the charismatic gifts, let's not lose sight of what Paul does say here that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit continues in our lives when we are born again and believe in Christ. You see, Christ's love is our Savior. is so infinitely great that He pours out the Holy Spirit on us abundantly so that our cup overflows with the generosity of His grace as we freely receive the Holy Spirit to bring everlasting joy in our lives, even as we struggle and suffer in this world. How then will we live differently in this world? How will we live differently than the rest of this world? It's through God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us which provides us with the strength to live faithfully according to God's Word. But this benefit comes to us through Jesus Christ our Savior who pours out the Holy Spirit on us so that we will become like Him as we prepare for our future with Him. Which then brings us to our fifth and final truth in these verses this morning. There has been the need of Christ's appearing, followed by the time of Christ's appearing, then the purpose of Christ's appearing, and then, of course, the benefit of Christ's appearing. But now we come to the hope of Christ's appearing. And so we read first of Christ appearing as our Savior, who takes 
our place as a fellow human being to suffer and die on the cross for our sins, with Christ then sending the Holy Spirit to apply His salvation to our souls, which then means that we are justified by His grace. And the word used here to justify or justification is a big and important word in Scripture, which is central to our salvation in Christ. But to justify means to declare righteous. Here's that all-important question. How can the unrighteous in sin be declared righteous by God? And the answer is, through the appearing of Christ, who exchanges His righteousness for our sinfulness. Because Christ has united together with His people on the cross, so that we are together as one. Our sin then has been paid for by Christ in His death. And His righteousness has then become ours as He is raised from the dead with resurrection life. So when the Holy Spirit regenerates and renews us, our hearts are then open to receive Christ's grace by faith, which is why we are justified before God. Here's what we go on to see in verse 7, that as those who have been justified by Christ's grace, oh, don't miss what we have to look forward to. We have to look forward to this promise that we will become heirs. And what is an heir? But a cherished child who receives the great blessing of inheritance from our parent. See, God adopts us as His children in His family of faith, which is why then we will all receive a glorious inheritance when Christ appears again and the sinful world gives way to the world to come. And so this is our certain and our steadfast hope that we will have eternal life to enjoy in God's presence forever. You see then that because Christ has appeared in the manger, we can be sure that He will appear again to welcome us into our eternal home with Him. And this is why we sing Joy to the World. Now, as many of you already know, Isaac Watts penned this hymn to rejoice in the hope of Christ's second coming rather than his first coming in the Incarnation. But in these verses, we see how the two are linked. That our Savior appeared in Bethlehem, which means that we also live with the hope of his return to the earth as our King. Which is why then we rejoice in the coming of Christ, even as we wait for His second coming, when we will finally and fully receive our inheritance of eternal life to enjoy dwelling with God. This is our hope. 
that comes through Christ's appearing. Oh, so brothers and sisters, let us rejoice because Jesus Christ appeared to save us. Oh, Jesus Christ appeared in this world to save us. How Christmas then opens up God's heart for us. And God's heart is opened to save us, which includes all three persons of our one true God, since our salvation is Trinitarian. Did you hear this as the verses were read? In verse 4, we begin with the kindness and love of God the Father who is our Savior. Then in verse 5, He saves us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And then finally in verse 6, the Holy Spirit is poured out on us abundantly through God the Son who appeared as Jesus Christ our Savior. So all three persons of God are working out our salvation. God the Father has appointed our salvation. God the Son has accomplished our salvation. And God the Holy Spirit now is applying our salvation. And this salvation came into this world when Christ appeared. So, have you received this gift of salvation? Have you received this gift of salvation? You know, Christmas traditions may warm your heart during this time of the year, but it is only by believing in the appearance of Jesus Christ to save you that you will come to truly appreciate and adore God as your Savior. So if you do not know God as your Savior, if you have not experienced His kindness and, and love through the appearing of Jesus Christ, oh, come to Christ. Come out of the world. Come out of your enslavement. Come out of your sin. by bringing them and bringing all of your sin and laying it before the foot of the cross. Look to Christ as the one who came into this world to save sinners. This is why He was born. So come to Christ so that this year your celebration of Christmas will be in the fullness of joy that comes through having received the mercy of Christ. And for all of us who know Christ as our Savior, who have been redeemed by His blood, 
May we continue to repeat over and over again this Christmas message as we celebrate our Savior's appearance to save us. It is through remembering these things that are revealed to us in the Word of God that we can truly enjoy the birth of Christ. And in our celebrations, may we not only find the joy of Christ's salvation in our hearts and souls, but may we also share with those around us of God's heart for sinners which appeared in this world for our salvation. Oh, how God's heart is open to us through the appearance of Christ. May the world then come to know that Christ has appeared to save sinners like us and like them. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how wonderful these words are to our soul. And in the midst of the busyness of the season, with all of the distractions that we have this time of year, even as many of us are tired and struggle with the challenges of living in this sin-cursed world, may we appreciate and adore Christ as He appeared in this world to serve as our Savior. So, Father, we pray for all of these things. We will continue to live by repeating and rehearsing these gospel truths in our hearts and lives, not only during Christmas time, but through all the year. until our Savior appears again to welcome us home. So we pray then for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.